Chapter 9, Kill Baby Jesus Nathan Rhodes flew into DeKalb Peachtree Airport, located 15 minutes outside of Atlanta's Buckhead neighborhood. Hartsfield Airport was closer to Gene Gomes's condo in the cleanup scene. However, it was a nightmare of an airport, and the words quick and easy did not apply. The older Citation jet he'd rented was in need of a paint job and looked every bit the part of a poor man's jet as it pulled into the parking area in front of the small terminal. Stepping onto the tarmac, he was greeted by two members of his cleanup crew dressed in ripped jeans and ratty t-shirts, both with long hair and beards. Rhodes did a quick double take. Even though they were all officially listed as dead too, and there was no dress code for their particular subgroup within the Department of Agriculture, Rhodes was never able to part with his military-style haircut, much less dress like a runaway skateboarder. The closest thing to dressing down for him was a golf shirt and khakis. Golf shirt tucked in, of course. They shook hands and led him to a new Jeep Cherokee. What the fuck is this? he asked, looking at the car. We're going to stick out like a sore dick in this thing. It's too goddamn nice. Urban camouflage, one of the men chuckled. We'll be in one of the nicer neighborhoods. This will blend in. Are all the fucking Chevy Impalas in Atlanta rented out? God damn, this is a thankless gig sometimes, Rhodes muttered. His compatriots smiled at their commanding officer's disdain for even the slightest of creature comforts and his penchant for cursing in any situation. Rhodes was lost in thought during the ride, and both members of his team knew him well enough to keep quiet and leave him alone until he broke the silence. He had already been debriefed by his team leader hours before, and now he gazed out of the window as they drove through the perimeter area of Atlanta with its posh neighborhoods and shopping areas, then through several seedier sections near downtown where full-on urban gentrification was occurring where Gomes and his agents had been killed. We're here, sir, one of the agents said, breaking the silence. They parked a block down in a public parking structure where there were no cameras. Rhodes studied the area quickly. So we're roughly between Gomes's condo and where Ghost Team was set up, Rhodes asked. The agents nodded, careful never to use words when none were needed. Rhodes met his clean team leader. John Dowd on the fifth floor of the older nondescript condo that they had put Gomes in. There were only two units per floor, Gomes's neighbor being an older woman who was reputedly hard of hearing. At the time, it looked like a reasonable setup. But then again, Beth Colby must have thought so too. Dowd walked him around the crime scene, which had been cleaned thoroughly. Gomes's body, as well as the marshals, had been removed within 30 minutes of Rhodes's emergency call, and now all that was left to do was rid each apartment of any forensic evidence that a crime had occurred. We found him in here, Dowd said, pointing to the bathroom. He'd been smacked around a bit, but nothing too bad. She double-tapped him, he continued, pointing to his own head and chest. Hmm, Rhodes grunted trying to picture the scene himself. She wasn't quiet about it, Dowd said. That's the thing about this that doesn't make any sense. You would have thought she'd have been a little bit more stealthy, used a suppressor, and been in and out. Not this one, Dowd said, referring to Beth. We listened to the audio of the Marshall and Ghost team. 
By the end, Gomes was screaming like a bitch, and the fatal wounds sounded like they had been inflicted by a cannon. In the neighbor's apartment? You said the marshals were found in there, Rhodes asked. Yeah, right over there, Dowd said, leading him out across the hallway to the other apartment. Rhodes studied the scene. There were no visible signs of forced entry on either door. What are your preliminary thoughts on how this went down, Rhodes asked. You're not going to like this, but it looks like she had situational awareness of Gomes, the marshals, and ghost team. I heard on the police scanner that there was an old woman found in a dumpster a few blocks from here this morning. The person who lived in this apartment was an older white woman fitting that description. I'm betting this is her apartment, Dowd said. Dowd moved around the apartment to set the scene for Rhodes. I'm thinking Beth Colby disguised herself as the older woman, the neighbor, rode up, shot Gomes, and waited for the marshals in here. They came knocking, and she took them down. Basically used Gomes' bait, Dowd said. Jesus Christ Almighty, Rhodes exploded, rubbing his hand through his gray buzz cut. We didn't bait her. Damn, she baited us, Rhodes exhaled loudly. There's a sad fucking irony in this, John. Dowd nodded slowly. She's a smart one. Evil, but smart, Rhodes said. They split up and walked over to the condo where a ghost team had been stationed. It was an empty building, one that was in the short strokes of being completed until the original developer had gone bankrupt during the housing crisis. The locks were new, though, so there weren't any squatters or drug dealers, just an empty building in which drywall hadn't been sanded and the fixtures hadn't been installed. Ghost team bodies had been moved. However, there was still blood on the floor and it was clearly visible the door had been kicked in. A small man with gloves and glasses was scraping blood off the floor. He looked at Rhodes and Dowd as they entered the room. This is it, Dowd said, waving his hand toward the bloodstains. Rhodes nodded and looked at the man collecting samples. Carl, what do you got, he asked. Carl finished putting a blood sample scraping into a tube then took off his gloves and shook Rhodes' hand. A few rounds and a lot of blood. I don't know for sure when I'm able to run the samples, but based on the spatter, it looks like we've got three different bleeders here, Carl said. Is some of it our shooters? Rhodes asked. Looks like, Carl replied. These spots here, he said, pointing to a smaller patch of blood with droplets leading toward the door. I'm betting this is hers. One of our guys had a bloody knife in his hand. I think he was able to cut her before he expired. I'll find out if the blood on the knife matches the puddle. If it does, we'll know it's her and I can get a DNA profile out of it. Rhodes thought about that for a moment. He certainly didn't give a shit about DNA. He knew exactly whose it was and had an agent playing house with her at that very moment. His plan to catch Beth Colby in the act and spare Serena Green's cover, was looking like a royal fuck-up. Now, instead of interrogating Beth and sucking out vital intelligence on the organization, he was left to bury two agents, two people that were officially listed as dead, and now really were, as well as two freelance ex-marshals. It was a glorious clusterfuck. You still have the audio? Rhodes asked Dowd. Yeah. 
Dowd replied. Here you go. He pulled out his phone from his pocket and handed it to Rhodes, who gave him a what-the-fuck look. We uploaded the audio to a secure server and got rid of the hard copies. Didn't want any mishaps. Here, just press the screen here, Dowd said. Rhodes wasn't much of a smartphone guy. The satellite phone he carried with him was more like a brick, but he managed to manipulate his large callous fingers over the screen and listen to the audio. He heard Gomes screaming and the shots being fired. Though barely audible, he heard faint shots from across the hall where the marshals had been killed. No audio from this scene? Rhodes asked. No, Dowd replied. We weren't wired for sound here. Hell, you know these guys, they were good. She must have serious instincts to be able to make out this team and to figure out where they were in the first place. She could have gotten away clean, he said rubbing his chin, but instead she wanted to make a point. That's what this is, Dowd said. Rhodes handed him back the phone and looked around again. Well, she sure as shit did. Beth and Serena had just finished a romp in the sack that would have qualified for an Olympic medal. Serena wasn't gay and Beth was, well, who fucking knew? However, there was no denying on some level Serena was getting used to sex with Beth. It wasn't so bad. Not having to explain what felt good and having a partner that knew the owner's manual backward and forward didn't hurt either. Beth was still a major mystery for Serena. A scary, sexy, psychotic one, but a mystery nonetheless. Serena sensed that sex for Beth was really more about the release, the physical act, and she wasn't particularly picky if she was with a man or a woman. There was some intimacy, but not much. It was more animal intensity than anything. Almost like she was exercising demons instead of taking pleasure in being with a lover. You're going to screw up those stitches if we keep doing shit like this, Serena said, wiping her sweaty hair out of her face and catching her breath. Thanks for reminding me, Beth said, touching her thigh to see if they were still intact. Her phone rang and she rolled over to get it. She eyed the number and got up. Gotta take this, she said, walking into the living room. You can take it in here, you know. Serena pouted as if she wasn't invited to the party. Beth frowned, closed the door behind her, and answered Draper's call. How's the leg? Draper asked in a fatherly tone that was hard for him to summon. Not bad, considering. It's become a limiting factor, though. Worse than I thought, she replied matter-of-factly. So where does that leave us? Draper asked. Excuse me? Beth raised her eyebrows. To hear the question was both stupid and out of character. With halvers, Draper snapped. Huh, that's the Draper I know, she thought. Looks like I'm on the bench. I've been sewn up, but my leg looks like it's Grandma's quilt and I'm on pain meds. I can't go, she said. I figured as much, which is why I'm calling. Is she ready? Draper asked, referring to Beth's recently acquired protege, Serena. Hell, Draper, nobody's ever really ready for shit like this, she said, suddenly sounding human. I think she'll be fine. I haven't actually told her about the mission just yet, though. Excuse me? I thought we agreed. I thought this was taken care of. Draper's annoyance was unvarnished. Beth sighed deeply. Look, I'm on the ground here and I've been working through this. Between sleeping and this fucking knife wound, on and off pain meds... 
I think I may have come up with a fairly easy and less messy way to deal with halvers. Really? Draper said sarcastically. Less messy? That'd be a switch. Before Beth could reply, he quickly pivoted. I'll leave the details to you. Do what you do, but I need to get it done sooner than later, he said. Read the new girl in, get her fucking hands dirty, and see how much water she can carry on her own, now that you're on the bench. You need a hand, so do it now. He clicked off the phone call before she had a chance to reply. Beth bit her lip and ran her fingers through her damp blonde hair. Staring in the mirror in the sitting area, she looked at her reflection, maybe for the first time without judgment, examining the cut on her leg and her bruised knuckles. She quickly shook her head and walked back to the bedroom to avoid an introspective moment. Change of plans, Beth said, walking back into the bedroom. Serena was drying off from a quick shower. What kind of change, Serena asked. We have a new assignment. It's in New York, Beth replied. I thought Florida was our next stop. The Glasser brothers, Serena said, careful not to say your old boyfriend. It's the nature of the business. If you miss order and stability, then maybe you should go back to your old job at the Department of Agriculture, Beth said sarcastically. Serena had heard this before. However, there was no reason to believe that Beth or the organization Whatever let her quietly quit and go back to her old life. That was unless she was in a body bag. Having Beth keep bringing it up was getting under her skin. Yeah, good old Department of Agriculture, Serena said. That'll be the day. How soon do we need to leave and what's the plan? If we leave within the hour, we can get there no later than 6 p.m. Beth paused and walked over to Serena and put her hands on her shoulders more intimately than she had in the past. We need to put someone down. I'm a known entity and also have this, Beth said, pointing to her leg. So it's going to have to be you. What the hell are you talking about? Serena stepped back. That's not what I do. Beth's eyes narrowed. You were working for Magnus. Magnus is dead. Whatever your old job description was, it died with him. Unless I miss something, you said you were all in. Did I miss something? Because if I did, we have a problem, Beth said. Serena paused. Rhodes said something like this might come up, that she may have to prove herself. She'd mentally prepared for it and had certainly killed before. However, she had to act the part of an ex-government bureaucrat, not seeming too eager. It has to be someone who deserves it. Serena finally said. I can't kill someone who's innocent, or a, a child either. Beth had started packing, but then turned. Innocent? Who the hell is innocent? Beth quickly answered her own question. Nobody. That's who. But since you've seemed to have developed a conscience, the person in question is a dirty sack of shit who deserves to die, she said. Beth stopped and turned to face Serena again. Just so we're clear, if I told you to kill baby Jesus, that's exactly what my people would expect you to do. Just get your head right, she said. Serena shook her head. I'm good. I'll get ready. Beth stared at her, mentally calculating how much to actually tell her about Glenn Halvers, the man they were about to kill. There's something else you should know, Beth said. 
because you were involved with Magnus and Gomes. Serena shook her head. Not that shit again. I know if I fuck up, I'm toast. You still don't trust me. Beth cut her off. Christ, just let me finish. I'm beginning to trust you, actually. Shit, I must, based on the fact that you're involved in our next assignment. What I was about to tell you was the virus that didn't work, the shit that was supposedly obliterated. Thing is, it actually wasn't destroyed. Gomes and Halvers deployed it at a test site. Serena felt her face get hot and her knees get weak. Don't fucking tell me that, Serena gasped. I know, it's fucked up for sure. Beth's face was now serious. It's more than just fucked up. The fucking virus did work, but Gomes didn't have a vaccine. This is bad, really bad, Serena shouted. Beth watched Serena run her hands through her hair and pace as if she had just gotten horrific news, which apparently she had. She stopped pacing and asked Beth, Where is it? Did Gomes tell you? Serena asked. Beth paused. I wasn't aware of the deployment until after my run-in with Gomes. Serena's face dropped. You fucking killed him before you knew what he did with it? Is that what you're telling me? Holy shit. Did it occur to you to fucking ask? This was the first time Serena had spoken to Beth like this. And though it wasn't sitting well with Beth, she had to admit she'd have asked the same question and wouldn't have been so nice about it either. Just stop, Beth said, waving her hands, then continued. We just found out about this. Believe me, if we'd known he actually deployed it, no, I wouldn't have killed him. However, hindsight doesn't help for shit right now. We need to put Halvers down and then go find where they tested the virus and eradicate it. So I take it the shitbag you want me to kill, he told you where it's deployed? Right? Serena asked. Beth cut her off again and attempted to speak. He doesn't know. Serena cut in and went ballistic. What the fuck? He has to know. We can't kill him before we find out, Serena yelled in disbelief. Let me fucking finish, Beth said, visibly pissed now. It's at one of three possible locations. That's as much as he knows. Believe me, if he knew more, he'd have said so. He's still an organization member, and though he's a shithead, our boss doesn't think he's lying about this. Serena just stared at her blankly. Beth continued, I'm taking a shower, and you need to get ready. Nothing has changed except we have a couple more assignments before I deal with the Glasser brothers. I need you to shake it off and get your head right, Beth said. Serena watched Beth walk into the bathroom and close the door. Her heart was in her throat and her pulse was racing. She knew she had to warn Rhodes. She scribbled down a quick encrypted note, stuffed it under the dresser and debated breaking protocol with a text. Everything was unfolding quickly, and the internal debate raging in her head was quickly quelled when she shot off a quick cryptic text. She erased it as soon as she sent it, and felt a chill run down her spine. Within an hour, she'd be headed to New York to kill the CEO of a major U.S. corporation, then try to find a deadly viral test bed.